evening. How are you? You doing well? Come on. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. Come on. <laughs> Don't make me do the whole thing. I'll do it with you, right? So good to see all of you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We've had a fantastic day at the Essential Church Conference. I mean that sincerely. Uh, it was Lisa Harper just wrecked me with her story this morning. It was great. We had breakouts all afternoon. We had sessions with our team this afternoon. And tonight, uh, we have a treat. Tonight, uh, I get to introduce a guy that I, I there's not a man uh, that I trust more, that I love more, that I respect more than Jimmy Evans. And I was, I was telling a moment ago, I'm standing next to him singing Overcome, and, uh, and I remember the night that I sang that song next to him for the first time, and it was after the worst, you know, Glenn just told that story. But I'm sitting here, all these memories of the last 11 years come flooding back to me. And in all the key moments that I've had as pastor of New Life Church has involved Pastor Jimmy Evans. And I've said this, I think I've told this story before, but actually the reason I'm the pastor here is because the pastoral search committee called Pastor Jimmy, and Pastor Jimmy said to them, you need to hire Brady Boyd. And I have not forgiven him since that day, so I just want to confess. <laughs> I'm saying that because I feel, I feel led to tell you this. There are a lot of you that are pastors and leaders, but you don't have fathers in the faith. And I'm telling you, I, uh, I am surviving and I'm thriving because I have a photo in my office of Pastor Jimmy and Pastor Robert and other men laying hands on me. That photo's in my office, and I see it almost every day, of them laying hands on me and praying me in as the senior pastor here. And some of you are alone and disconnected, and one of the reasons that we're starting the Essential Church Learning Communities is I want to get more intentional and more purposeful and more relational in my ability to lay hands on the next generation of leaders the way those hands were laid on me and set me in to pastoral ministry. And so tonight, I want you to, uh, out of honor for what this man has done for our church and for our city and really for the church around the world, I want you to welcome tonight to the Essential Church Conference my dear friend, Pastor Jimmy Evans. Come on up, Pastor Jimmy. Thank you very much. Thank you. What a wonderful introduction that was, goodness. Well, let me just tell you something. Uh, I was pastoring in Amarillo uh, when Brady and Pam, I think you moved from Louisiana to, to Amarillo or whatever, and uh, Brady was a member of the church. Brady and Pam were members of the church. I think you were selling cell phones or something? or <laughs> your Radio station. You were with radio station. And um, whatever you were doing. But... They were the best church members you can possibly imagine. They served. They had such a humble spirit. They were very respectful. They were very committed. Uh, they got involved with singles or something and just want, just such did such a great job. And then Brady left and went to Hereford to pastor one of our churches in Hereford. And then Pastor Robert hired you away from us like he did many hundreds of others. <laughs> I've forgiven him for that, too. But uh, I'm with Gateway Church now. Um, I've been with Gateway Church. Now, I am the uh, founder and CEO of Marriage Today, and that's our marriage ministry. My son, Brent, actually is the president. He does all the 
the heavy lifting daily. I do the TV show and conferences. We're doing a conference this week uh, in Illinois. But uh, a couple of years ago, uh, Pastor Robert asked me to come on staff at Gateway. We planted Gateway. Our church in Emerald planted Gateway. And Karen and I have lived in Dallas for 17 years. Uh, we tra transitioned the leadership in Amarillo, but we've lived down there for a long time. But uh, Robert asked me to come on to lead the Apostolic Ministries of Gateway Church, which is about $30 million budget a year for our outreach ministries, and that includes the King's University. So two years ago, a little over two years ago, I came on staff at Gateway uh, and have done that for the last two years. Then in March, when Robert got sick, um, the elders had already agreed if anything ever happened to Robert that I would become senior pastor. So when Robert got sick, I took over the responsibilities of uh, being senior pastor of Gateway. And I did that uh, March through August. And when Robert got well and came back to work, he asked me to stay uh, as senior pastor. So what we've done with uh, Pastor Robert is we've released him, uh, first of all, to preach at Gateway and still be, he's my boss, he's the lead senior pastor, but I'm senior pastor and uh, he has a tremendous uh, stature, obviously, in the body of Christ, nationally and internationally, and we want him to fulfill that, and it's a big deal, and it takes a lot of time and energy. But he's also going to be, obviously, preaching at Gateway and, and still be a part of Gateway. But on a daily basis, I'm, uh, I am the senior pastor of Gateway and run the daily operation of the church. Love it. Uh, love being connected here. Love being connected still in Amarillo. And all of that, and, and I'm saying that to say this message is about stress. And I have the authority to bring this message. <laughs> I want to talk to you about stress-proofing your marriage. Now, I want to say um, Gateway is a very large church. Um, and Marriage Today is the largest marriage ministry in the world that we know of, doing what we're doing. And so we, um, the th our church in Amarillo is 12,000, of course, the, the you're bigger than that. So I've written 17 books. I've preached in the biggest churches in America. I've done everything I want to do. Uh, there's nothing, no worlds to conquer that interests me. I'm not, I'm not ambitious. I want to serve Jesus till he comes. I want to see the kingdom expand. But I'm not driven by it. But I was, and it almost killed me. This is one of the most important messages you'll ever hear. And I don't want to preach. I just want to share. I want to share some things of where I've been. When Brady asked me to preach on marriage, I thought, if preachers are there, I know what I'm going to speak on. I want to talk about stress. I want to talk about your marriage being free of stress. Matthew 6, and this is Jesus speaking. He said, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things, sufficient for the day, is its own trouble. Jesus revolutionized the world with one word, Father. We had not known that word in the Old Testament. God was a, a God on top of mountains with smoke and fire, a God behind a curtain that one man one time a year could be around. He was not a personal daddy until Jesus showed up. 
And when Jesus showed up and he began to speak about God being Abba, our daddy, it revolutionized the whole concept of God. And what he was saying to the disciples is, now you know you have someone taking care of you and you don't have to do that by yourself. You know you have a father that will take care of you intimately and dotingly for the rest of your lives. So not only do you not have to worry about your life, you really don't have to worry about tomorrow. So as a Christian, there, there is the saying, you can't have it all. No, actually, you can't have it all. The greatest promise in the Bible, one of them that I know of, is Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God's righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus is talking about everything, everything that people want and they're trying to get. He said, let me give you the secret of getting everything. If you would prioritize God's authority in your life. When, he, when Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God, it's the Greek word basileia. It means rule, the rule of God. Jesus is saying, first of all, come under the rule of God every day. The Lord's Prayer, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. First, almost the first part of the, the very first part of the prayer. So Jesus is saying, if you would prioritize coming under God's authority and then his righteousness, that just means his character, being like him. If you would prioritize God's authority and God's character in your life, you would lack for nothing so you can have God and you can have everything else that you want. If you put Jesus first, if you put God first. What if you don't put him first? You're going to waste your life. You're going to waste your life worrying. And what Jesus said is, who by worrying can add an inch to his stature? All worry is futile. Well, if I could go back in time 37 years ago when I started in ministry, the number one thing I would change is fear. I regret every fear-based decision I've ever made in ministry. And worry is fear. Worry is just a, a measure of fear. God will never honor a fear-based decision. God only honors faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him because you have to believe that he is and he's a good God. That's the basis of faith. He will never, ever honor fear. And if we're going to have a relationship with God, it means we have to trust him. And Jesus is saying worry, listen, listen, worry and a relationship with God are mutually exclusive. You can't have both. If you're worried about money, if you're worried about things, if you're worried about the future, it's going to cost you a prioritized relationship with God. You can either have God first and then everything else, but if you don't have God first, it's going to cost you everything else. And I'm talking about pastors. I'm talking about ministers. It ruins your life. And this is a saying, I know you've heard this saying, but a saying that I heard one time that, that helped me is this saying, the journey is the destination. Um, I know you've heard that. The journey where we are right now, this is what it's about. And when I say that I don't have any ambitions for the future, what it means is I don't even know if the future is going to come for me. Jesus could come, I could die, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know I have today. Now I'm, I'm saying this to say when I came into the ministry 27 years ago, I had never been to seminary. I worked for my parents in the appliance and electronics business. And I came on staff as a marriage counselor. The Lord saved our marriage. The pastor, who I did not know very well, 
came up to me in church one day and said, I want you to come on staff as a marriage counselor. I said, I have absolutely no credentials to do that, whatever. He said, everybody in the church comes to you and Karen for marriage counseling. You might as well do it up here. <laughs> so I came on staff as a marriage counselor, um, pre-marriage and marriage counselor. I was 28 years old. Um, and nine months later, 10 months later, the pastor left and went to Florida. And the elders asked me to be the senior pastor. They asked me to fill in for him in the interim. Uh, I had I'd preached maybe once before, never led a staff, never taken an offering, never done anything. The church was 900 people. So the elders then asked me to become the senior pastor. And even though I, I wanted to, and I believed that God had called me to do it, a year earlier, I had been in the appliance business. I, I, was, I was terrified. I mean, I was terrified. Fear is not enough. I was terrified. Every time I stood to preach, I was terrified. Absolutely terrified. Fear of speaking in front of people. Um, fearful, fearful that the Lord wouldn't give me another message. I didn't, you know, I would, people would say, boy, that was a good message. I think, well, I just hope there's another one somewhere. <laughs> you know, I, I was just, I was terrified. Never done, a, never done a wedding, never done a funeral, never paid attention at weddings and funerals. We were charismatics in Amarillo, Texas, a very denominational city. Not one pastor would be seen publicly with me, and no one would take my phone call. I had no professor to call. I had no friends to call to ask them questions. When I did my first funeral, I showed up at the funeral home, and I said to the guy at the funeral home, I said, uh, could you help me out? He said, sure. What do you need? I said, could you tell me what to do? He said, you've never done a funeral? I said, no. He said, what do you need me to tell you? And I said, you need to tell me everything. <laughs> he said, are you pastor of Trinity Fellowship? And I said, I'm it. <laughs> it was just throwing somebody in the deep end. So someone says, you know, how did you make it? Just barely, by the grace of God. It was absolutely terrifying. I lost two years with my kids that I don't remember. I was home, but I wasn't home. I was at work. My motivation was fear. Fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear of the church going broke. Just pure fear. And because of that, I worked all the time. I've never had measles, mumps, chicken pox, never had a cavity. I was never sick in my life until I came into the ministry. And after about six months in the ministry, my body fell apart. I was sick. I was sick as a dog. Karen and I started fighting, started causing marriage problems. And I was just like a bulldog on the end of a leash trying to drag God. I was motivated. You know, I wanted to succeed. I wanted the church to grow. But my, my motives were not pure. I did love people. I did love Amarillo where I grew up. And I wanted the kingdom to expand, but my, I was very muddled in my, in my motivations. And someone said one time, the journey is the destination. And I just thought, no, nah, that's not right. But it bothered me. And what I realized is I don't enjoy anybody. I don't enjoy anything. I'm tired all the time. 
I just want to be alone. My fantasy is to get in a car and drive to California where no one knows me. That was my fantasy. Just in one of my lowest moments, I thought, you know, one of these days I'm going to snap. I'm just going to drive. And it comforted me. It comforted me to think about getting out from all under that stress and all that. So Jesus said in Matthew 22, they came to him and said, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets was their whole Bible. And Jesus said, if you love God and you love people, those, those around you, your neighbors, you have fulfilled the entire Bible. But he said nothing about money. He said nothing about big churches. He said nothing about success. He said nothing about achievement. If you love God and you love people, you have fulfilled the entire Bible. Love is the interpretive key of the Bible. If you understand love, you understand the entire Bible. If you don't understand love, you cannot understand the Bible, and it's a dangerous book in your hands. And I say to you that much of the church today is more motivated out of truth than they are love. And I want to be correct. I want to be correct. But it doesn't matter how correct you are if you're unloving. And it doesn't matter how successful we are in the eyes of people if our homes are a wreck. And we're not loving the people. We're not loving God and we're not loving the people closest around us. That's the whole Bible according to Jesus. So I'm going to make some statements. Just make some statements and some comments in this message. The first is this. All of life's true blessings and God rewards, God's rewards flow from relationships. Not from the accumulation of money, success, or planning for the future. All of life's true blessings and God rewards flow from relationships. Second comment is this. When prioritized relationships are the focus of our lives, we end up fulfilled and successful. When prioritized relationships are not the focus of our lives, we never end up successful no matter what else we have. And the, the motto there is the destination is the journey. Everything is about getting there. Everything in our lives is about getting to this place somewhere on the horizon. We're all miserable. We're all stressed out. We don't enjoy each other. We're not able to enjoy God. We're, we're stressed out, moving, pushing until finally we get there. And there are two curses of the driven life. The first curse is never getting what you wanted. You work, you work, you stress, you stress, you sacrifice, but you never get what you wanted. The second curse of the driven life is getting what you wanted. And you run the race, you run the race, it costs you everything, your marriage, your children, your body, your health, everything, and finally you get there and you grab the bell and it's as empty as you are. And it's not what you thought it was going to be. I counseled a billionaire couple, famous billionaire couple, really nice people, really good Christian people, and the woman came in to see me first, and she uh, was exhausted. She came in, uh, threw her jacket on my couch, and she just flopped down and she, and she said, I'm exhausted. And I said, well, what's, what's going on? She said, he's, he's killing me. He's killing me. And I said, well, I don't, what do you mean? She said, he, he won't let me rest. He drags me all over the world, all over the world with all of his businesses. And, and she, here's what she says. We were with the royal family last week. We were at the Dalai Lama right before that. She goes through all these names. And she said, I hate it. 
listen, she said, my fantasy is to be at home in my kitchen, but he won't let me. So I had a couple of sessions with her sweet lady. She, she had it. She had it. She had done. Huge houses all over the world. Jets, everything that you can imagine. So, I, so he came to see me. Um, and so he was type A, really nice guy, good man, type A, loved her, adored her, and wanted her to be with him wherever he went. And he was all over the world doing business deals, hundreds of businesses. And so um, I talked to him, and I talked to him about slowing down and letting her slow down, and he, he wasn't biting it. He wasn't going for it. So finally I smiled at him, and I said, you're going to lose her. I smiled at him, and he looked at her, and he said, is that true? And she said, yeah, I'm leaving. I'm not doing this anymore. I've been trying to tell you I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm not doing this anymore. If I have to leave you, I'll leave you. I'm not doing this anymore. And he looked at me and said this. I never thought I'd be this successful. I wanted to be successful, but I just never dreamed that it would lead here. And he sat back in his chair. He exhaled and sat back in his chair. Here's what he said. I'll give up everything I have, but I won't give up you. Now, she did not melt into his arms. She was mad still. And, and let me tell you this, it cost him some dough. I'm going to tell you that right now. But he, he did it. He did it. So he took his entire empire, it's an empire, and gave it over to managers. And he and his wife started traveling all over the world. And he didn't work. And he called me one day. And he said, you saved my marriage. And I said, no, I didn't. I said, I've talked to a lot of people that I didn't help at all. And I said, the reason I could help you is because you're a teachable man and you put your priorities where they need to be. This is the happiest couple you've ever seen in your life. He got it. Driving himself and his wife, driving. And this poor woman, think about it, this poor woman, I fantasize about being at home in my kitchen but he won't let me. Do you know the blessing of a simple life? Do you know the blessing of a simple life? I may tell you some more stories here in just a minute, but here's another statement. The only way you'll be able to focus on God, your family, and key relationships the way you should is to put your faith in God that he will take care of you as you give attention to him and your family. Now, we want to be diligent workers. You know, diligence is a good thing. Listen, the difference between diligence and drivenness is diligence does its best and rests. Drivenness can't rest. Drivenness can't stop. It's a killer. So we want to be diligent people. But ultimately, if you don't trust God, you can't stop. You can't rest. Here's another statement. The faith to stop, rest, and prioritize God and family is one of the greatest levels of faith and one that God rewards greatly. Let me say it again. The faith to stop, rest, and prioritize God and family is one of the greatest levels of faith 
and one that God rewards greatly. Did you know that the honor of the Sabbath is still true? Did you know that? Don't kill is still true, right? Don't covet, don't commit adultery. Don't, don't put any gods before God. All those are still true. The Sabbath is still true. The American culture has rejected the word of God. And because of that, we're seeing all the problems. Many of the problems that we're seeing is because we're a driven people. But Israel, think about God for just a minute. We think, sometimes people think God's a slave driver. Here's God's system. He took the children of Israel out of Egypt through the wilderness into the promised land, took them into the promised land and said this, every day, every week, you have to take one day completely off. You can't work. Every seven years, you have to take one year off. Does that sound like a good deal? Paid. Paid. I will make sure that you have enough crops before the seventh year that will get you through to your harvest in the eighth year. So, and every once in your lifetime, every 49th and 50th year, you're going to get a two-year trip to Disneyland. <laughs> Does that sound like a good God? See, he's not the problem. We're the problem, right? So God took the children of Israel into the promised land, and they never let the land rest one time. They never did the one year off one time. So God took them to Babylon for 70 years. And here's what 2 Chronicles 36 says. To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. As long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. After 490 years in the promised land, they owed God 70 Sabbaths. Now listen. Psalm 23 says, you make me lie down in green pastures, you're going to lie down. Well or sick, you're going to lie down. <laughs> Every time you skip a Sabbath, you owe him one. It's a debt, just like a tithe is a debt. You say, I don't have time to stop. <laughs> you'll stop. Oh, you'll stop. You may not be well. You may not like it, but you're going to stop. Stress is the number one reason for doctor's office visits in America today. It is the number one reason for prescribed medications today. And God gives stress no grace because it's a self-inflicted wound. In Ezekiel 44 in the Old Testament, God commanded that the priest in the temple could not make anything that ma wear anything that made them sweat. You know why? Because when we are under stress in ministry, we make God look like a bad employer. And we rob his glory. When you serve God the right way, it should glorify him, not make him look like he's a slave driver. Because he's a good God. Here's what stress causes in marriage. The law of priority in marriage says, for this cause a man will leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. Marriage has to be first or it doesn't work. It's the first law of marriage. Before your job, before your children, before your church, and this is a confusion that many uh, ministers have. They put church before their marriage, which is a mistake. God comes before my marriage, but God is not church. God is my personal relationship with God that I would have if I was a plumber. Marriage, when you get stressed out and your marriage isn't first, you're gonna, it's going to suffer immediately. Sexual problems. The number one sexual problem in America today is inhibited sexual desire because of fatigue and stress. Number one problem, people, couples don't have enough time to have sex. Communication problems. Communication takes time. You just, you just have to have time to talk. You can't microwave it. 
Anger and emotional problems. You just wear out. You just, you're so stressed out and worn out. Love is an emotional commodity. And stress robs us of our emotional capacity. You just get short. You, you snap at each other. You're, you're angry at each other. Financial problems. You're being driven financially. So you begin to have financial stress, which I believe is the worst form of stress. Here's another saying. If the devil can't get in front of you and stop you, he'll get behind you and push you too fast. If the devil can't get in front of you and keep you from accomplishing what God wants this way, he'll get behind you and shove you until you burn out. I uh, was sharing with you about my personality and how I was motivated early in the ministry. And when Jesus said that God is a father, that, that's, that wasn't helpful to me because I didn't have a good father. My father never touched me, he never talked to me. Uh, he touched me when he was angry a couple of times, but from the time I was three years old till the time I was 38, my father never physically touched me. My dad worked all day and he would come home at night and sit in his chair and I would walk over to him and say, Daddy, what's two plus two? He'd say, I don't know. Never answered a question, never engaged me in a conversation, never, I played sports and he never came to a game. I invited him to every game, he never came to a game. He was completely divorced from my life. And um, when someone would say, God's your father, I would just say, oh, well, what does that mean? And my dad was a moral man and he was a good provider, but that's all he was. And I thought, well, God's, God's a good God, you know, and I'm, I believe in him, you know. I don't want him to clobber me because in my family, if you did really well, you didn't get clobbered. You didn't get anything good, you just didn't get clobbered. If you did bad, you got clobbered. So I didn't have a concept of God caring for me. I felt like a, an orphan. I, I had an orphan spirit. Orphans, orphans have to take care of themselves. Orphans have to have too much to have enough. And orphans can't rest because they're their own provider. So I had an orphan spirit. So the Lord was trying to help me. And um, this concept of God being my father, uh, I couldn't get it. I just couldn't get it. And one day the Lord said to me, I want you to treat me like I'm the perfect father until you can prove me wrong. And he gave me a scripture. One day I was at work. I was stressed out, stressed out, tired, busy. And I was, um, I was working and the Lord said to me one day, I want you to go play golf. I was sitting at my desk at work and the Lord said, I want you to go play golf. And I said, Lord, I don't have time. And the Lord's never said, oh, you're right. And, <laughs> and the Lord said, no, I'll run the church. You go play golf. By faith, go play golf. And I thought, well, Lord, I'll have to kind of bring you up to speed on stuff around here because, you know, there's <laughs> a lot going on around here, Lord, you know. You. So I went to play golf. And uh, the Lord gave me this scripture. Psalm 127.2, it is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. It is vain for you to rise up early, to go to bed late, to eat the, bed of, uh, eat the bread of painful labors, 
for he will reward you while you're sleeping if you'll stop. So Lord said, I want, Lord gave me this scripture and said, I want you to go play golf. So I went to play golf and several times during the round, I was stressed out. Several times during the round, I said, Lord, I'm playing golf by faith because I think maybe the church is going to fall down while I'm gone. And stressed out, fearful, all that kind of stuff. Went back to work the next day and the Lord had done a good job. I was so proud of him, you know. But after I finished playing golf, I felt better. My stress was lower. I went home. I enjoyed being at home that night. And it began to impress on me. He is my father. He does love me, and I don't have to work all the time to get all this done. Now, this was when the breakthrough came for me in ministry. This is where the breakthrough came for us in Amarillo is when I began to stop. So Robert and I, about a month ago, a young man called us and wanted to meet with us. He's a really, really good evangelist, has huge events all over the country. And so Robert and I met with him and an associate of his about a month ago, and he was burning out. He's a young man, 30, 35. I'm about to turn 65, 35 as a baby. Um, so... Robert and I met with this young man, such a nice young man, burning out, horrible. He's having marriage problems, personal problems. Huge events all over the country, huge, hundreds of thousands of people all over the country. And he was about to have an event. He was about five weeks away from it, and he needed $3 million. and didn't know where he was going to get it. And so he and his buddy are in there talking to us, and they're just sharing. And he said, you know, and he's ang he was angry at God. And frustrated with the Lord. Why, I don't know why the Lord, you know, we're out here doing all this stuff, and I don't know why the Lord, you know, won't, won't help us out more. And he finished talking, and I said, I've been angry at God. He said, really? And I said, oh, yeah. And I said, I've spent 15 or 20 years frustrated that the Lord was just so slow. And I said, one time I just got real angry at the Lord, and I said, it's just like you're not paying attention. I'm down here doing my very best to serve you, and you're just not helping out. And I said, and I, I was angry at God. He said, well, that's, that's the way I feel. And I said, well, now I'm older. And I said, God's not going to speed up. You're going to have to slow down. <laughs> now, as we were talking to him and his friend, you could see them deflating. The, the stress was going off of them. And I said, what do you mean? having a big evangelistic crusade and not raising the money first. You put yourself in this position that you need $3 million in the next five weeks and you want God to come through? I said, you have to change the business model of your ministry. This is not working. Now, and I'm speaking because in marriage today, you know, oh my gosh, the stress of television ministry and all that stuff when you're doing it wrong like we did in the beginning. I've been through all that stuff. The problem is never God. When you're mad at God, you're wrong, right? But you're still mad. So his buddy, his associate, this young man, fine young man, his associate says this, which, which was a, such a telling comment. He said, we're in our 30s, Jimmy and Robert. And he said, faith means living on the edge. And when you're in your 30s, you just have to live on the edge so someday you'll become great like you guys. And while he's saying that, Robert and I went, 
And I said, faith is not living on the edge. Faith is doing what God said, and he'll never put you in a place to burn out. Number one. Number two, what you don't know, because you're in your 30s, are our contemporaries, Roberts and our contemporaries, that did burn out in their 30s, 40s, and 50s, and either got sick and died, or had an affair, or disqualified themselves, or quit, or something else, because they went too far too fast, and God wouldn't bless it. And I said, to get my age, you better slow down. You will not get there. Listen, listen to me. So the Holy Spirit can do in five minutes what you can't do in 10 years. Five minutes. The labor that you will, the stress that you will spend for the next 10 years, if you would have faith in God and stop, he would do for you in 10 days what you can't do in 10 years. It's vain for you to get up early every morning. It's vain for you to go to bed late at night and eat the bread of painful labors because I would reward you if you stop. The faith to stop is one of the greatest levels of faith. The faith to stop. And so what I'm saying is this. I, I said to you earlier, I just don't have a lot of ambition. Here's what I mean by that. I want to serve Jesus till he comes, but, but here's the point. So I have burned out. Several times I've burned out. And one day I was laying sick in bed. I, I was never sick. I was never sick. I was so sick, it took me an hour to roll over. I was that sick. And I was laying in bed. There's only one scripture I've ever scoffed at. Matthew 11, where Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I thought, that's just not true. Sorry, Lord, that's just, that's just you spoke, you're about to kill me. And the Lord said, it's not my yoke. It's not my yoke. God will never put a yoke on you that will burn you out and stress you out and rob you of a healthy life. He would never do that. But I remember those days. I remember those days. And God began to show himself to me. Now, let me say this. I know God. God is my daddy. I have a very, very intimate loving relationship. Let me say something. When you haven't had a father, you appreciate a father. And I've got the most wonderful daddy in the world. So I wake up every day and I've got, I've got the responsibility of a lot of people and a lot of things before me. And when I wake up in the morning, I have my quiet time with the Lord. And here's one of the things I tell the Lord every day. I'm just going to live this day. I'm not going to live tomorrow. I used to be obsessed with the future. We plan. We, we make plans and stuff. But I'm saying this. The way you stress yourself out is take more than one day and compress it together. You can't change tomorrow. You can't change next week. I can't change it. I don't even know what's going to happen. I think I know what's going to happen, but I don't know what's going to happen. But what I do know is I have today, and here's what I know. What makes me happy is God, Karen, and my grandkids and my friends. Ministry doesn't make me happy. I love it. I, I love what I do. Pastoring a big church does not make me happy. If, if you think having a big church is going to make you happy, I'm sorry for you. I pastor a really big church. We have a $150 million budget. You say, Jimmy, that would make me happy. Really? 
You really, you really think it would? You know how many people want that money? There's never enough. I've been on television. I've, I've been in big churches. I do big church. It doesn't make me happy. God in my family makes me happy. Brady and Pam Boyd make me happy. The quality of your life consists of relationships, not things. And what the devil does is he drives us. He drives us. I want this. I want more people. I want more this. I want, I want this. We get this abstract thing in front of us, and we're driven to get to that thing. And the two curses are you never get there, and you feel like a failure, or you get there, and it's not what you thought it was going to be. And my friends are pastors of large churches like Pastor Brady. And, and I sit with pastors of, of large churches and ministers. And what you don't hear them preach about are the things that they're going through. My father-in-law had a, my in-laws are very wealthy people. I grew up poor. And I always thought money will solve all my problems. And, uh, and money is a blessing. Money, we need money. Money is a blessing. I'm not talking bad about money. But um, the thought that money's just going to solve all your problems. So my, my in-laws' friends are the who's who. They're the people that, they're just the who's who of the business world. And I was at my father-in-law's 80th birthday party, and I was seated at a table with five billionaires. They're family friends, five billionaires. You say, well, what, what do billionaires talk about over dinner? Their daughter that just died of cancer. Their son that's in rehab. Their wife that was just diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And I sat there with this table of human beings. I was sitting at a party at my in-law's house one night. I want to impress you with this. It was the owner of the Dallas Cowboys home. And we were having Christmas there. And I met Tom Landry, Roger Staubach, Tony Dorsett, all of them that night. And I'm sitting with my mother-in-law, standing with my mother-in-law and a group, of, a group of women in the kitchen. And they were, uh, this group of women, they had all just purchased islands that they were remodeling. <laughs> islands. And that couple went bankrupt the next year and lost $600 million. And they were left with $10,000 and two cars and a short list of friends. We went to a house in Ireland. My father-in-law took us on a vacation to Scotland, Ireland, England. We stayed in a castle. He rented a castle in Scotland, then a castle in Ireland, then uh, Princess Diana's house in England. My in-laws were staying in Princess Diana's castle mansion two weeks before she died. We were supposed to go, but I had to come back and preach. So we went to this castle in Ireland, 50-room um, castle where they do the Ralph Lauren commercials in Ireland. Gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous castle. And um, we, we got there, and we all 
you know, got settled. And when you rent a castle, the owner is not supposed to be there. That's if you ever rent a castle. <laughs> the owner's supposed to leave. Okay. That's part of the contract. So my father-in-law, my, my in-laws are the most wonderful Christian people. And they love Jesus, and they're the best stewards of money. And money is not their happiness. Their family in God is their happiness. And, um, but my father-in-law came up to me one day, and he said, Jimmy, the owner is in the, I, I, I saw the owner. She's here. Now, she was a gold digger. She married an old guy. He died, and she got his castle. So a lot, a lot younger. And um, so um, he said, she's here. Well, it was a 50-room house, so I didn't see her for a couple of days. So... <laughs> So he came up to me like a couple days later and he said, she's right over there. That's her and her boyfriend right over there. She's maybe 40, 45 years old. And he said, should I run her off or what should we do? And I looked over at her and it was her and her boyfriend. And we were all outside, a real pretty area outside. And I said, no, let's just be nice to him. Okay. So she's over here. And so we walked over and said, would y'all like to join us? And she said, well, do y'all mind? And I said, no, y'all come over and join us. So they came over and sat down. And um, she didn't have any family. And she was lonely. And she sat down. And we began to talk to her. I felt so sorry for her. My heart just broke. And she loved watching our family have fun. And for the rest of the time that we were there, we befriended her. And she just lit up like a Christmas tree every time we'd walk in. A castle in Ireland. Can't kiss you. Can't tell you it loves you. It can't fill the empty places in your heart. It can't hold you at night. But people think that it can and Jesus called it the deceitfulness of riches. I'm saying to you, I'm saying to you, as a 65-year-old man who by God's grace has been successful in ministry, what makes me happy is God and my family and my friends, not ministry. I love ministry. I love doing it. But I do it one day at a time. And I do my best and I go home. And I'm with Karen and my family, and I'm happy and healthy, and I want to do this for the rest of my life. But my ambition is not to write more books. My ambition is not to build bigger churches, even though I want to see the church thrive. My ambition is to love God and love the people around me and live one day at a time with my faith in God as my loving daddy. Now, some of you are sick physically headaches, migraines, skin disorders, organ problems, because of stress. And the Lord's going to heal you tonight. And he's not just going to heal that part of you that's sick. He's going to heal your relationship with him. Father, I pray right now that you would break through the fear, break through the stress, break through the anxiety that we all are prone to. All of us are prone to it. And for some of us, Lord, the devil's just behind us, pushing us so fast, we're, we're miserable. Our marriages aren't working, our families aren't working, our bodies aren't working.
And we just expose him for the liar that he is. And we return, Lord, to a simple life, to a simple and pure devotion to you, Jesus, and to each other. And from this night forward, I pray that the journey would be the destination. Where we are and who we're with would be our focus, not being driven to some ethereal goal. And I pray your peace, Lord, right now. Let the peace of God come into this place. Lord, heal skin right now. Skin disorders. Bronchial problems. Respiratory problems. Heal those right now. I pray, Lord, right now that you would heal headaches and migraine headaches. That, Lord, our immune system, now that I'm speaking to several people here, that really, your immune system isn't fighting the way that it should. And I'm going I'm to give you the word. I want you to listen to me because this is a word for you. I'm saying to you what Robert and I said to that young evangelist. God isn't going to speed up. You've got to slow down. You've got to slow down. It is vain for you to get up early and go to bed late and eat the bread of sorrows because he would reward you if you would just stop. He gives to his beloved even when they're sleeping. I pray, Lord, heal organs, stomachs, intestinal problems, female problems, reproductive problems, problems with our spine and our bones. I speak healing over marriages right now. Let the stress and the frustration come off of marriages now in the name of Jesus. We are the church of the firstborn. We're the church of Almighty God. And you have equipped us with your love. You said, this is my commandment, that you love one another, even as I have loved you. Lord, let love be the banner that we walk under. Let love be what attracts people into our churches. Let love be what we live for and what we die for. Not money, not success, not anything else. But I pray your blessing over these people that have gone to a lot of trouble to be here tonight. And I pray when they leave that they would be different, that there would be something in them, a switch that's flipped, that from this day forward, that they would think differently. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys.